Welcome to episode two of Civil War Breakfast Club. I am your co-host, Mary, also known as Civil War Fangirl on Twitter. And joining me is my co-host, Darren, who is Darren J. Weeks on Twitter. That's right. Just go by Darren. Kind of like Madonna. Just one name, Darren. Yeah, he's just Darren. (laughs) Just Darren. (laughs) You should permanently change your name to just just Darren. I should. You know, I should do that. You should. Remind me. I'm going to take care of this. Yeah. Just... You'll just be Darren, and then someday you'll be the artist formerly known as Darren. Oh, and you'll well, just have some kind of like. I'll have a symbol. symbol. It'll be a half moon. It'll be a half moon with like a beer can on it. <laughs> Speaking of beer, what are you drinking for tonight's episode? And what mug is it in? Well, I'm using my Abraham Lincoln mug, and I'm drinking. A fabulous night requires a fabulous beer, and therefore I'm drinking the greatest beer of all time, which is Haze by Treehouse. And anybody from New England knows Treehouse because it is a single. Best beer of all time, 100 bucks a case. You waited in line for an hour to get it, but it is totally, totally worth it. So there. I think you waited in line for like an hour and a half, actually. It was a long time. <laughs> a long time. But it was worth it, though. It was worth it. Awesome. I am very much a fan of the hazy IPAs. Mm-hmm. Tonight, I am drinking Voodoo Ranger by New Belgium, which was a very surprisingly good thing I found out at the uh, Lickbo, which is also known as the LCBO here in Ontario, where we buy our booze from. Voodoo Ranger was something I could only get in the U.S. at one time, and it is one of my favorite beers, so I was quite happy to see it. Well done. Well the other done. Day. And I am drinking it out of my John Reynolds mug. Can't be John Reynolds. Nope, can't. So anyway, before we get started with our episode... We just want to thank everybody for all the support they gave us for our, the release of our first episode. We didn't know what to expect, but the positive support that we got means a lot to us. It's nice to know people are listening. We didn't know how this would go. We're, we're just doing it just because we're passionate about it and we have fun with it. And we wanted people to learn along the way. And we just wanted to do something a little bit different in the Civil War field. So we're very happy with the reception it's received so far. We now have, in addition to our Twitter account, which is C- Civil War Breakfast Club, <laughs> um, we also have a Facebook page and an Instagram account too. So you can find us on all three of those platforms. But one of, the th- one of our listeners, Jen, who is actually one of my very good friends in real life, she was really cool and she live tweeted some of her favorite parts of the episode. But the one thing she wanted to know, Darren, was she wants to hear a little bit more about the Battle of Bee Ridge and Robert E.B. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, she does. <sighs> she wants me to relive my near-death experience. It's not a near-death Again? experience. I saw the lights. I could have gone in. You're talking right. like as dramatically as McClellan did in his letters to his wife. I believe most of those too. Yeah. But anyway, so, all right, fine. Okay. So <laughs> it was a calm, but cool day. And it was time to mow my lawn, which most people do and in my front yard. I have a light post and I just was just chilling, mowing my lawn, kind of one of those, just kind of clear my head situations. And little did I realize I was basically Alfred Iverson marching across the, um, the greens at Oak Ridge going to my demise. Because once I get into the light post, I just felt a bunch of stinging feelings where I got stung. I got stung in my eye and I got stung back back of my neck twice. I didn't know what it was, so I let go to the, the lawnmower and I brock and brewed the hell out of there as fast as I possibly could. And it was it was touch and go there for a while. But then I had to go to the store and I had to buy some bug spray. And uh, the second day of Bee Ridge turned out much better than the first day as I went in there and I wiped them out and, and I did a selfie with the dead bee, which I call Robert E. Bee. <laughs> it was a uh, it was it was tough. It was tough. I had been stung by a bee 
in years. And I got stung, well, three times in five seconds that day. But then about a week before, I got stung too. So thanks for bringing that up, Jen. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Mental scarring was almost gone. Just so you all know, I got the play-by-play of Battle of Bee Ridge and Robert E.B. Yeah, that was, that was brutal. Yeah. It all turned out well, but there you go. Well, thank you for that. That probably will. <laughs> I'm sure, Jen, hopefully she's laughing at that. <laughs> <laughs> laughing at my pain and my misery thanks <laughs> jen experience. i hugged a tree for you in gettysburg and everything <laughs> it's just awesome that our listeners are interacting with us too so that's really cool hey so speaking of complete complete disasters and failures how about we talk about john pope for a little while oh that sounds really good yes that yeah. is our topic for tonight we are talking about second manassas second also known as second bull run or Shit show disaster for the Union Army again. That was a bad one. You yeah. know, we'll, we'll talk about the, uh, the all three days, the, the whole situation that it was. John Pope, he, um, as most people realize, he fought in the West. And he, um, from uh, Louisville, Kentucky, I believe. I think that's yes. where he was from. Yep. And he had uh, some success over at uh, Island Number 10, yep. as well as Battle of Corinth. And he, uh, he had that really bad quote before he came east that he said. He said, in the West, we were used to watching the backs of our enemies which was very arrogant, which usually is pretty cool. But when you're coming east and you're replacing McClellan, who'd been sidelined, who was very popular, you better back it up. Robert E. Lee, who referred to him as the miscreant pope one time, would prove to um, would prove to be the benefactor of that arrogance when it completely blew up in his face. That's about as bad as like when Lee's going to refer to Hooker as Mr. F.J. Hooker. <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool to like hang with these guys and just hear what they say. Just I can't imagine that, like, the talk that went on. Lee's probably in his tent saying, like, that fucking idiot Pope. Like, what the hell? <laughs> I thought what they were saying. That, you know, that Pope, he lacks balance, so yeah. I thought they were saying things like that. <laughs> He'd probably like, this guy sucks. Yeah. But it's a good lesson, though, because, you know, coming off of the seven days, yeah. everything was going great for the Confederacy as, as it was going on. Robert E. Lee takes over on June 1st, 1862, and immediately has the seven days to push away from Richmond. And now John Pope's in charge, and McClellan goes in the doghouse because, because Lincoln had basically had enough. And he takes over. He gets a couple of, uh, gets a couple of corps over from the... Uh, the Army of the, of the Potomac to basically um, try and try and hold off. And, and Lee, to his point, he um, he realized that he had a chance to push these guys back, go away from Washington, D.C., and get close to Washington, D.C., rather, and get away from Richmond. And that's exactly what happened. And with those rail lines all surrounding Manassas, it was a perfect target to um, to go ahead and try to do that. And and we'll talk a little bit about that to see how, uh, how it all turned out. Spoiler alert, not good. Yeah, it does not turn out good. And yeah, Pope is going to be commanding the newly created Army of Virginia. And this army does not last long. So with him, he's got three corps. Um, he's also going to, in addition to that, he's going to have men, as Darren said, from the Army of the Potomac as well, that are basically borrowed from that army. But in the Army of Virginia, you have the first corps, which is commanded by Franz Siegel. Who, Ron Siegel. Ron Siegel, German. And this will eventually become, spoiler alert, the 11th Corps in the Army of the Potomac that will eventually be commanded by my favorite general, Oh my Oliver God, who? Howard. No. We'll talk about Howard later. Howard, we will, yes, because he's got a little bit of a role in this battle too. The second Corps is commanded by Nathaniel Banks, and this will From later Massachusetts. Waltham, Massachusetts, my hometown. He's buried there, right? Still. Yes, well, been there for a while. That's good. Clearly, he's paying his rent. <laughs> <laughs> later, the, later, the Second Corps, the Army of Virginia, is going to become the Twelfth Corps in the Army of the Potomac, and this will eventually be. And I hope I'm getting this right because I'm just pulling some of my head. Slocum will command that corps. Slocum, if you got him at Gettysburg. Yep. Howard and Slocum will both go on to the Western Theater to be part of the March to the Sea. And the Third Corps is going to be commanded by McDowell, who will eventually 
And this corps will eventually go back to being the first corps in the Army of the Potomac, which at the time of Gettysburg is being commanded by General John Reynolds. Was on your cup. Yes, by the way. That was why I chose it. (laughs) It was a very roundabout way of why I chose Reynolds. You want to talk about the AOP too? Yes. So there's just parts of the AOP that are going to be part of the Army of Virginia for this particular battle. And they're called the, I'm going to butcher this, the Kanawha Division. Kanawha Division. Kanawha Division. And this is going to include the 3rd Corps, the 5th Corps, the 6th Corps, and the 9th Corps. 9th Corps. 9th Corps. So Heinzelman, Porter, Reno, and Franklin. Yep. Now the Army of Virginia, just to tell you how glorious they were soon after this battle they will no longer be in existence they're basically going to get absorbed into the army of the potomac so that's how well it goes for them lincoln has created this army of virginia commanded by pope in the hopes that pope is a more aggressive general than mcclellan well i mean he had he did have the success in the west though i mean it wasn't really his success i mean he's kind of like well he did the whole like he clearly had the same math teacher as mcclellan had because he captured five thousand prisoners but then said it was seven thousand so he's inflated his numbers. It's also kind of like Jimmy Garoppolo saying he won two Super Bowls, the Patriots as quarterback too. I mean, theoretically, that's exactly what happened, but not really. You know, Pope was an interesting, interesting dude. He certainly didn't lack the, the confidence to do it, but I think the, the biggest point that we were talking about a little while ago was is you can't overestimate how popular McClellan was with his troops. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, and then you bring in this guy who was new, who felt like he knew like he invented warfare or some damn thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, part, you know, you look at, and of course, you look at the, the rivalry with McClellan. You know, he didn't send all of his corps. He only, you know, he sent the four corps. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Fitz John Porter for the fifth corps was by far the best. Yep. He had a lot of experience with the peninsula, and he was probably the best corps commander, probably on both sides that day of those three days, realistically. And he ended up getting court-martialed, so it shows how that worked out for him. But he had some. But I think when you look at the overall structure, I think Pope just didn't know he had and you look at some of the guys he had with him he had a lot of future all-stars and it just i think he was so focused and we'll talk more about the confederate side here in a minute he was so focused and obsessed with stonewall jackson the the entire battle yeah you know he you know he knew that you know lee had stonewall as a left-wing commander and he had james longshoot as his right-wing commander that was their core structure at the time he was focused on Stonewall. He had to beat Stonewall. It'll turn out his lack of focus on Longstreet, obviously, is what ultimately did him. Yeah, to the, point, to the point where he's ignoring intelligence reports from his cavalry. No. Oh, bad. The other thing that's going on, too, is that morale is not that great in the Union Army in the East right now. Meade is writing his wife and saying that uh, the enemy are evidently determined to break through Pope and drive us out of Virginia when they were, will follow into Maryland and perhaps Pennsylvania. He's kind of like forecasting the future with that one right there. And then he goes on to say that they've been mismanaged. Reynolds saying that he's fearful of the operations. Pope's army has not seen or met anything like the four we knew left Richmond before we did so he like even Reynolds knows Pope is coming into this thinking like oh yeah I had some victories in the west like look at me but they were very different battles than what he is about to fight in the east well even McClellan who um he knew I mean he I don't want to say he was rooting from to fail but he kind of was I mean he was there's there's a battle of egos going on with this well, he, he wrote that quote on the 10th of August of 1862, and it's McClellan's quote, so I should probably speak real slow when I read it. This episode is now going to be two hours long. <laughs> it's only one million pages I'm going to read for you. Yep. Right now. Basically, he says, Pope will be thrashed badly, and they'll be glad to turn their redemption of their affairs back to me. He wrote that to his, McClellan wrote that to his wife about 
two weeks before the battle. So he kind of, did he have a premonition? Was he hoping? But you can tell his heart wasn't into it. And I don't think he was, um, he was heartbroken to watch how this whole battle played itself out. Yeah. We have to remember the one thing with McClellan, though, is he is, he's a Democrat. He doesn't want to fight a war. He just wants peace. And that becomes quite evident after Antietam as well, especially with the emancipation, you know, that Lincoln, that's going to come down the pipe eventually to McClellan is not in this for fighting. Well, I think he wanted peace, but I think he wanted to be the guy to create the peace though. Oh yeah. Yeah, You know, if he would, if he would have gone to the peninsula campaign and he would have gone right up the coast and he would have sacked Richmond and he would have bagged Lee, actually would have been Lee or Johnson time and they won he would have been the hero mm-hmm. but obviously that was his goal but you're right after um after he got sacked the second time he at that point his his mind was uh was made yeah. up yeah and mcclellan's other issue too were that if you if you look at somebody like grant or sherman they had failures failures throughout their life mcclellan never had that like when mcclellan was at west point and he got a bad grade in art and i'm not making this up he blamed the art teacher i would have so would i actually no i suck at art i've seen you try to draw a moon i've seen your art skills (laughs) (laughs) i've seen you writing before so it's not pretty (laughs) so we'll we'll talk about what the 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 battle what the teams were in this time so you have on one half you've got robert e lee new to command for the army of northern virginia who we just named that and basically he's got robert he's got uh, james longstreet and he's got stonewall jackson he's got jeb stewart so he's got fifty thousand guys and the good guys, these are battle-tested off the peninsula, off the seven days battles. This is, the, this is, this is I mean, this is veterans. This is, this is the all-star team, basically. Yeah. The Federals, they got 75,000. They got the numerical numbers. They've got 50,000 from the Army of Virginia, which is Pope. And they got 25,000 of the Army of the Potomac from McClellan, who was, quotation fingers, borrowed from his army. He had a lot of good soldiers. He did. He mm-hmm. had Gibbon. We'll talk about all those guys that battle went on. Gibbon, but he had, he had some. He had, he had Double Day. Was had some great. He had some great guys. Double Day would be would be a not a hero of this battle, but he'll distinguish himself positively. As he does and at so, Gettysburg too. He's a little bit underrated at Gettysburg as well. And it's impossible to mention Double Day without mentioning baseball. Because I think Double Day was actually alive last time the Indians won a World Series, wasn't he? I, I could be wrong. I'll have to look that up, but maybe. I'll get you back for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Might I remind we, you that your Boston Red Sox right now are their spirit animals, Braxton Bragg? That is true. It's okay. Yeah. My World Series hat's two years old. Dumpster okay. fire. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so basically, we'll talk about the battle. So basically, you know, if, if, if you look at the, at the way it plays itself out, Lee wants to get out of Virginia. He wants to get the troops away from Richmond. He wants to move towards Washington, D.C. to draw them away. And he starts his move away. And the Union Army is going to basically, is basically going to go up there and try to, and just try to get between them. And, and Lincoln, to his point, he realized McClellan was, wasn't going to be the guy. Wasn't sure because he didn't get rid of him. He just basically put him in a timeout. Gave the keys to Pope and gave him some soldiers to, uh, to basically do it. And then basically, it was, it was hope for the best because Pope was a guy who had some success, at least on paper. Maybe he might be the guy who was going to uh, who was going to win. And that was Lincoln's thing was like Lincoln would look at if someone had success, I'll take a chance on them. I'll bring them in. This guy seems a little bit more aggressive than what McClellan is, so bring him in. And we're gonna. I mean, he does this obviously. Like, I mean, well, he puts Burnside in after McClellan, but you know, then he goes for Hooker because he sees Hooker as being the more aggressive mm-hmm. one as well. So this becomes a pattern with Lincoln. The Civil War Trust, American Battlefield Trust, did a video not too long ago about. Second Manassas, which is really, really good. And they brought up a really good point. This is the, the Gary Edelman Facebook Live ones. Mm-hmm. What's important to understand that it doesn't just go from the seven days right to Antietam, from Antietam right to Ch- So there's these little mini battles in between. Now, if Manassas wasn't called Manassas, would it have been as popular? Who knows? But there are a lot of these little battles that take place in between that really shaped up. I like to think of Second Manassas almost like 
the Battle of Winchester mm-hmm. in 1863, where it was kind of that speed bump where if they got past this one, they felt they were strong enough to keep going forward to the North that ended up in the Maryland campaign. Yep. It, Very similar you know, to Gettysburg in that way. You know, and so if they had, if they got pushed back, they, they would know it was kind of like this, this was the final, let's get to here. They win this. Then it's like, well, let's just keep going, you know, and then ultimately Antietam happens and the rest, the rest is history with yeah, that. South Mountain too is in, in there too. That's another one that like it kind of, you know, forgotten in the, in this whole thing. It's like they, all of a sudden we're at Antietam. And these other battles haven't happened. So mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's cool that's, uh, that we're discussing this one tonight in, in a little bit more yeah. detail. Well, the anniversary is the 28th. So what is that? Is that Saturday, Sunday? It's the, the day this episode drops. Oh, my God. What a coincidence. Ah. It's almost like we planned this. It is. Basically, you know, Jackson, you know, he, he, wants, to, he wants to basically push to Manassas and, and just, again, get them away from Richmond. That, that's the whole point of it. And a lot of Lee's strategy with these battles is to get the, get the war out of Virginia. Mm-hmm. And we see it again the next year in the Gettysburg campaign. But for, but for him, it was an opportunity to, to really do something with it. So he, he gets up there. And he basically has, he has a pr- pretty good amount of, amount of people, but he, when he gets there, he, um, it's just basically Jackson. So mm-hmm. right off the bat, Jackson, he is going to get to on the first day. And there's a really cool story where he, where you got the union troops, they're all there and Stonewall Jackson's by himself on a horse riding along the ridgeline. So they're looking up and they're seeing Stonewall Jackson. I'm pointing. No one can see it, but I'm pointing. Okay. <laughs> and <laughs> but there he is. Okay. And they're just watching him, and he goes back to his troops, and he tells uh, he tells his guys, "Men, saddle up, we're we're, we're going, we're going." Yeah. And that's the beginning of the Second Battle of Manassas. So yep. they end up they end up going, and they find a they find a really cool place to go called the Deep Cut, uh, not to be confused with the Deep Dive that we keep saying, saying <laughs> over and over again. And it's basically a railroad that ran from Manassas Junction all the way west of the actually from Washington through the Blue Ridge Mountains through Manassas through there, and it's just in. They stopped building it when the Civil War was was um was going on. Think of it like a bigger version of the Gettysburg Railroad Cut, mm-hmm. where you, there were places where it was significantly deep, you couldn't get into it, and there were places you probably you probably could actually shoot. Yeah, and this is this engagement begins in the evening. Yeah, you know, and so the, the second you know as as it goes on, they, things things actually turn out pretty pretty well for the for the Union Army at the, the original point. You know, he's got the first eleventh and what will become the first 11th and 12th Corps of the future Army of the Potomac. So who's the first Corps, right? He's got the Black Hats. Yeah, he's got John John Gibbon and his Black Hat, and they are the ones that are, the second Wisconsin is the one that is going to be sent into this. Mm-hmm. And he, um, like Gibbon, we need to do a whole episode on Gibbon because he's yeah. this like this commander. Like when he comes in to take over the Black Hat Brigade, and the reason I'm calling them the Black Hat Brigade right now is because at this point they are not the Iron Brigade. They've got a few weeks to go before they become the Iron Brigade. And, you know, spoiler alert: we are going to be talking about that in a future episode. But you can't be called the Iron Brigade if you don't have anybody from Michigan with you yet. Because the 24th wasn't with them. Exactly. Yeah. And you being the Ohio State fan, you know that they're not good unless unless they're Michigan too. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but I don't know I'm why a, I give you a hard time I, with sports. I, I, I don't know why I do. I'm a Packers fan, so Wisconsin's in there. But I'm also a, a Patriots fan. To be I am a pa- I am a Patriots fan. Anyways, time. Yeah, anyway, here we go. So Gibbon <laughs> sends the second Wisconsin in, and he is just this commander that he could tell his men, like you know, to do something that that seemed impossible, and they would just go do it. So he says to his men, like, basically, if you can, if you guys can get up there quietly on that that hill. 
you can take those those guns and the visual like i have of these guys like going really quietly and they're like yeah we can do this because given told us we could you know All i could think of is uh was elmer fudd going be very quiet very we're hunting rabbits so so he goes because he he's thinking okay you know i would jump in just like the 29th would jump in a day ahead but but basically he he's thinking this attack i'm getting these these artillery it cannot possibly be the confederates this has to be jeb stewart's artillery has to be yeah so why don't you take a couple of guys we'll take the second wisconsin okay and go sneak in the woods and go take the guns and then the second wisconsin gets out there behind colonel montgomery is montgomery he goes out to the woods and they finds Oh my God! He sees the he sees this is this is basically the left wing of the new army of North Virginia, and everything kind of goes well, not to pot. It doesn't really go to pot till the thirtieth, but I think it's just the first example of this army being surprised at this battle when they really shouldn't have been. Yeah, because they had the they had the intelligence. We'll talk about the intelligence and some of the flaws they had with intelligence. And again, I think unlike future battles. I think the biggest issues with the intelligence with this was more of that political attitude with each other where you had the McClellan people and you had the McDowell people and you had the Pope people. And they really, I shouldn't say it was Pope people because it really wasn't. It no. just turned out to be, you know, it, it just, they weren't ready to fight yet. Despite the fact that they had 75,000 or 50,000 total, it ended up just basically not being ready to fight yet. Well, but at this time too, like the, the intelligence that the Union Army is trying to gather is not like a cohesive element. It is not the, like, and I mean, not saying the BMI that, that Hooker creates is perfect, but right now they don't have that. Like they're getting it piecemeal from, from different places. And I mean, Hooker's going to make that a little bit better when he takes over in early 1863. But this is pre-BMI, so pre-Bureau Military Intelligence. So they're getting it a little bit differently. It's not as cohesive as what it's going to become. So you think about what they had, though, back in the, back in the 28th again, Frank Haskell from the 2nd Wisconsin, he's going to go out and run that intelligence and he's got a lot of good guys with him i mean he's they they have a lot of good soldiers who like to your point would ultimately turn into the the iron brigade again but get, they thought that, that jackson was still centerville at that point mm -hmm. they didn't think he was that far out and it was the first of many mistakes that this army would make going forward into this battle which ultimately be the undoing yeah and it's just it, it, a lot of it is to do with just the intelligence a lot of it to do is i think with like just the like you said the politics and the arrogance that's involved and like the, the second Wisconsin is going to come out of this with like they go into it with 430 men and 276 of them are casualties percentages that real quick use Four, your math skills 40 some oh fuck, I don't have any fucking math skills it's like 64 percent 64%. 64% that's why you flunk math I did flunk math. But you guys use kilometers and meters and everything else. Up. Anyway, so basically what, what the 20th ultimately turns into is what's, what's known as Battle of Bronner's Farm, Battle of Groveton. It's got about a million different names like a lot of these battles have. So Stonewall Jackson, he's riding by himself in that ridgeline and he brings his guys up. And what you have is you ultimately have his, you know, you ultimately have his former brigade, the Stonewall Brigade, fighting heavy against troops that would become the Iron Brigade. These are the Black Hat guys. Second Wisconsin, 6th and 7th Wisconsin, 19th Indiana. Like we mentioned before, the 24th Michigan wasn't there yet. And that ended up really, really bad for really both sides. This was the battle that Richard Yu lost his leg in. Mm -hmm. You know, he would get hit and he would lay in the ground for a couple hours and no one really found him. And he's not back for 10 months. He's back. And then that story I told you today where he gets a wooden leg that doesn't fit right. Yep. And he's stumbling around on Christmas Day. I'm not sure what he was doing, but he fell and hurt himself again. So it's, um, it's one of those things. But yep, it's basically a stalemate it's a stalemate but what happens is the with gibbons guys struggle they have a tough time double day actually saves the day mm -hmm. double day comes in with two regiments who are ultimately for the, for the gettysburg people they 
56 PA and the 76 New York would come in and they would basically plug that gap. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's really a, it's really a stalemate. But now Pope knows that Jackson's there. And so, but he's still feeling confident because for whatever reason, he has this, um, this thing with, with Jackson. He has to beat Jackson. And he's so tunnel vision on Stonewall Jackson that it's going to ultimately pay him. But yeah, look at the, look at, you know, 64%. I mean, that's a huge number of casualties. I mean, you, you see some of these later ones and, yeah, you talk about like a first Minnesota at Gettysburg and places like yeah. that, but that's a that's a huge, huge number to um, you know, to try to focus on. And that was uh, yeah. and the first day was one that um, a lot of bloodletting, but not a lot of success for anybody. Nope, nope. And then we go on to the second day on the 29th, which is Jackson at Stony Ridge, and this is more fighting. The Union Army is going to attack Jackson's men, and each time they are repulsed. And this is where Lee, Lee is going to arrive with Longstreet's command and take position on Jackson's right to block its John Porter's advance. Did you know this was the closest Lee came to dying in battle? I think I did, but please yeah. tell the story. Yeah, almost as bad. It's not as quite as dangerous as my B story. No, nothing, no, nothing tops the B and story. I, I don't me. know why you're minimizing that, by the way. Trust but me, anyway. nothing tops the B story. So Lee and Longstreet both basically arrive at the same time. And they're standing on the battlefield. And while he's on the battlefield, a bullet will actually whiz by Robert Yuley and just graze his right cheek. So you think about, you know, the whole what if thing that everyone who studies the Civil War does. What if that bullet is three inches more, I guess, towards the middle, hits, hits Robert Yuley right in the head, how history might have been different. Just, just one of those things. And that, yeah. was, that, was, that was the closest he really ever came. Yeah, like who would have taken command of Army in Northern Virginia? And how does the rest of the war go? It probably would have been Jackson, probably. Yeah. I think so. I, it definitely would have been Jackson. I mean, yeah. Who else would have done? Yeah. And then how does that change at Chancellorsville and Gettysburg and all that? Just um, the other thing too, Longstreet. This is where he convinces Lee not to completely unleash on the Union left as well. Darren's about to open a second beer. Definitely, definitely. So this is so now the 29th is really is really the day where where a lot of the stuff kind of goes down because you know when you look at the stuff that happened in Manassas, so you've got. You've got Stonewall Jackson who's basically in that deep cut now. And he's vulnerable. And Pope knows it. He doesn't know that Longstreet's coming, but he knows he's vulnerable. So he goes forward with everything. But the problem he has, which is the same problem McDowell had at the first Battle of Bull Run, is he attacks piecemeal. Yeah. He doesn't go all in. He attacks different regiments, different points of the line. And ultimately what happens is just it's, that's a great way to completely screw your army up by, by doing that. Yep. So he, they end up almost basically beating them. You have, this is when you have really the arrival, I don't want to say arrival, but this is really when, when Fitz John Porter and the fifth corps really take over. And this is a fight that ends up in, you know, to a point where they almost get Jackson's guys. Almost. This yep. is the one, this is where the famous rock fight takes place. Yes. Yeah. You where know, with, like with the, throwing rocks and the Virginia's and Alabama's where they're 75 yards from each other and the fight, you know, devolves into throwing rocks. There's a really good painting that shows that these guys throwing rocks at each other. I was well, looking at that one earlier today, actually. I should, I'll tweet that one on our Twitter account. Really you know how sometimes you sit in your front yard and throw rocks at the neighbors and they go by the house? Yeah, I do that all the time. Yeah, yeah. Just picture that with the same thing going on here. You have the point where they could have just run right through them, but they don't. Because mm -hmm. I think if I'm fighting in the Civil War and I have guys throwing rocks at me, they're probably out of ammunition, but they just go, they don't go forward. What really saves them, obviously, is Longstreet's arrival. Longstreet, and this is, you know, the beginning of a lot of the lost cause stuff that comes, kind of comes from the second day, too, because really Longstreet comes and they have the opportunity to attack then, to really push forward and kind of go for, and probably push 
Pope right back. But, and Lee wants to do it because Lee's go, go, go. But Longstreet, stop me if you've heard this before, says, we should fight a defensive battle. We shouldn't be doing this. We need to, we, and he does that. Mm-hmm. And he convinces Robert E. Lee not to keep going forward. And night falls and they call it a day. Yep. And this is really, when you think about, we were talking more about the lost cause stuff. And, you know, I was, and I remember that, and there's a really good quote by lost cause superstar, Douglas Sothal Freeman. Where he basically says, and I'm going to read, I wrote this down because I prepared for this. He says, the seeds of much of disaster uh, at Gettysburg was sown in an instant when Lee yielded to Longstreet and Longstreet deserved what he, des- deserved what, what he would guess. So basically, he was basically saying this was Lee's fault at this point for believing and listening to Longstreet that would come back and haunt him later. And it's in, I, I, that story was familiar. So I looked it up in the lieutenant's Lee's lieutenant's book, but I'm going to, def- I'm going to defend Longstreet though at this point and say that like he had spied the divisions of Reynolds and Shank extending, extended South in the Warrenton Pike. They were overlapping part of his line. Well, I'm not saying that Lee was wrong. That, that yeah. Longstreet was wrong. <laughs> no, I'm no, saying I was, like saying like Longstreet, I think had reason here for, for doing that. And I mean, I don't know. There's, I mean, this is for a whole other episode, but I really think Longstreet takes a lot of shit because of the lost cause. Like it's easy. Of to, she does. I mean, it's easy to to you know dump all over the guy that was like after the war was like, hey guys, we lost. Like let's uh let's just all be nice and be one country, and then he becomes well, a scallywag. Exactly, capitalist scallywag. Yep. But but this is where if you want to trace back the Lee Longstreet thing. It yep. goes back to the August 29th, eighteen sixty-two, yep. because it was the first example of. Longstreet having the ability to sway Lee's thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and maybe as you just spitballing here, as I drink another beer here, maybe that's why Lee went forward with Pickett's charge, right? Yeah, because he hadn't listened to Longstreet. Maybe he said, geez, if I listened to if I listened to myself back last August, we could have probably pushed these guys right off right then. But the only reason that Lee is gonna relent to Longstreet is because Jeb Stewart reports force along the Gainesville Manassas Road, which yeah. is Porter McDowell so he's got but like at Gettysburg though like Lee does not have Jeb's eyes because Jeb is wherever the fuck getting some wagons whatever the fuck is exactly what Lee said in his report to <laughs> his exact quote actually <laughs> whatever the fuck sir that's exactly what it was Wait, but yeah, I think I get I, what you're saying though about that you know this is probably where this began the lost cause stuff against Longstreet and where, where Lee and Longstreet started to kind of not see eye to eye on a lot of things. Yeah, a lot of people think that Longstreet really didn't try to ex- exert himself until Jackson was killed at Chancellorsville. And he actually did before that. I mean, he had his own thoughts about, about all that stuff. But I think, but I'm not, I think you're right. I'm not saying you're, you know, you're not right. I, I just think that, I think Longstreet was right in this case. But I think oh, this was the seeds were sown by a lot of the Freemans and the Shelby Foots of the world to, yeah. to, to, to give them evidence going forward that, look, if, if Lee had just believed in himself, he could have just gone forward. Now, Jackson had no say in it. He was getting his ass handed to him at the deep cuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are throwing friggin' rocks at each other. Yep. Big ones. And so they didn't have any ammo left, so they, they, they were left to do that. And so I, I, think that's, I think that's a big part of it. I think what, the thing about it, too, is we talk about this. We've had 150, what, 58 years to look yeah. back on this. In 2020 hindsight, this stuff all happens in real time. But obviously, when you when you look at this stuff over and over and over again, it's easy to to look back at the what ifs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big one. I think that's a, that's a big one. I think, you know, they could have had a. They ultimately won the battle anyway, so the whole thing's free yeah. and loose. So, but but I think that's it's the it's the ammunition, the evidence 
that these folks have to really push that, that anti-Longstreet pro-Lee agenda yep. that's going to show for the next 158 years. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's, uh, that agenda is as bad as what it was. I think Longstreet's finally getting, being seen in, in a better light than what he was. But definitely I can see where the, seed, the seeds were sown here, even though, yeah, like, as you said, like, we're both agreeing that, that Longstreet was right to say, like, don't fucking do it because <laughs> I can see these guys. <laughs> yeah, and again, it's, it's the, the fog of war and all that crap and all that yeah. stuff. But, but but again, you can you can you look back and you study this stuff and you see the you know you see the patterns. Obviously, it shows Longstreet as a defensive guy. It just it's, it just shows over and over and over again. And in a go 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 mentality, you can see you can see why people might get a little aggravated with that. But yeah. But anyway, so the end of the 29th comes and it's a missed opportunity really for both sides, right? Yeah. I mean, Paul Perry has Jackson over a barrel. He doesn't know Longstreet's coming yet. Really, and we'll talk about Buford here in a minute. I know you love you know, love talking about Buford. I so do. Let's tell, hey. that, let's, let's, yep. let's tell that story. So now night falls on the 29th, and now it's the 30th. It's the morning. So what happens there? So the 30th, we have Longstreet's counterattack. Mm-hmm. This is where um, Longstreet shows up and is like to Pope, "Hey, bitch, I'm here." Again, directly, directly from the battle report. <laughs> hey, bitch. <laughs> Should have realized you actually had the battle report with you. I feel like I'm at a disadvantage, Mary. So he says, hey, bitch. So, so, so the, 30th, the 30th begins, obviously. Um, Longstreet ends up getting himself right on Jackson's right flank. So he's, he's ready to go. To this point, they're ready to really spring this trap now on Pope and, 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 and the army. They're ready to go on it. They're gonna, basically, they're going to push right through. And a small portion of Pope's army is going to be kind of sent west of the battlefield. And they start reporting things like, like Colonel Griffin, he basically starts saying things like this dude's behind south of the line here. And it's, you know, it, it, we're, you know, we're behind basically saying there, there are guys we're, we're south of, J- of Jackson's line. We see guys coming, but we're too far to help. So we don't, we don't think we can, we can get involved in it. And that's going to come out later because Griffin is a, a McDowell guy and a McClellan guy. And Pope's going to come back later and say, well, that Griffin didn't want to fight in the battle. And he, so he doesn't take, they don't take, take part in that day of the 30th. That's a pretty good sized regiment. And so they end up going, end up staying way out there for that entire battle. So what does he do? He ends up having just a couple of, of brigades out there. And who's running the, who's running the brigade out in the, out in the left way out to protect the left flank is old friend governor key warren yeah this right? is where he gets uh well he he ends up with two he has two regiments he, he you know he has the fifth and the tenth new york they were zuobs so whatever opinions they have on the zuobs and again they get they get pushed right back Longstreet basically runs right through them meanwhile in the deep cut that portic doesn't break through and it kind of it kind of goes from there but but what you know ultimately when Longstreet does attack and he goes right through them he basically pushes warren back they end up pushing the, the union army back to chin ridge We've talked about yep. um, many, many times. He drops his army back to basically set up a defense against Longstreet. By then, it's a steam, it's a steam lo- lo- locomotive. What's the phrase? Steam engine? Steamroller. Locomotive? Steamroller? Steamrolls and steamroll. Whatever, whatever it is that kicks your ass, you're not ready for it. Whatever the hell that thing is, that's what it was. Okay. So basically, he ends up getting pushed back all the way back to the Sudley Road. Ultimately, there's some U.S. regulars in the woods there. They kind of hold the line a little bit. But ultimately, Pope realizes he just got his he just got pantsed. He just got his butt handed to him because he didn't realize how Longstreet's guys were there. And ultimately, these guys push right through them. And Pope is dealt a pretty humiliating defeat, considering how much talk. And I love being able to talk smack. There's no question. But if you don't back it, it doesn't work out too well, right? And that's yeah. exactly what happened. So ultimately, you look at the the overall casualty numbers, this battle, and it's actually it's actually pretty brutal when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Fourteen thousand casualties for the U.S. for the U.S. regulars and. Uh, for the U.S. Army and 
versus 7,500. But then you think about the political ramifications that came out of that. Because now McClellan's going to be coming back. And Pulp is going to get sent all the way to Minnesota yep. to fight the Indians out there with the North Dakotas. And the, the hockey fans will say the Minnesota-North Dakota fight is still going on in college <laughs> hockey, with, by the way. And that, I would agree with that. But you see that the overall ramifications of lack of preparedness, what happens when you basically think that you don't, you don't really know your army, but you feel like you're pretty confident that you're going to yep. do what you're going to do. But yeah, there's all, but you know, we talked before about a lot of the, the Gibbon guys and a lot of the army, the Potomac future guys. I like to, I look, we like to look at the personal stories. Yeah. Yeah, you, you've, got a, you've got a really good one. Yes, but that was a good point. Was a good, good segue, Mayor. Just let me run into that. Yeah. But basically, if you want to read a really good book on, on Battle of the Second Manassas, you've got to read John Hennessy's book, Back to Bull Rock, because it is, it is the best. Because what's great about this book is, um, is the stories. And in Battlefield Trust live video that I watched not too long ago, it reminded me of one of the stories where this goes back to the, to the, um, the first day of the, the battle where these Confederates were fighting. And this guy's walking along. This is, this is at nighttime, and he finds, you know, he hears moaning and, he, you know, the wounded. And one of the wounded happens to be this guy's son, who's lying there with his leg blown off. And, he, you know, he's, he's a young kid, and he's crying. And, and he, he tells his father, I'm, I'm not crying because my leg is gone. I'm crying because when I fell back, I landed into a gigantic hornet's nest. And he'd been lying in a hornet's nest for hours, getting stung and stung and stung. Again, it goes back to the bees, see? Yeah, probably. You're making bee. fun of him, though, are you? But basically... He ultimately it's sad because he ultimately dies in his father's arms from from this injury, and it really tells the stories. The other the other story too about about this battle is you know we, when you look at like a Gettysburg, you see Paul Revere's grandson was killed. Yeah, but Daniel Webster's son died in this battle, and he died you know right on Chin Ridge. There's actually a monument there for him. And you know Daniel Webster, he he wrote that really famous speech to Congress in 1830 called the Second Reply to Hayne which Lincoln paraphrased in his Gettysburg Address of the people, by the people, for the people. That paraphrasing comes from that speech. So again, everything kind of ties together when you look at the overall personal stories with this. I love the personal stories behind it. There was a couple of people, like I tweeted that I was researching this battle on um, my own Twitter or my, yeah, my own Twitter account. And I had a couple of responses of people saying like, I had relatives who were killed there, killed at Second Manassas fighting for the Union Army, which really just is like, whoa, that's one, one person. It was their their great 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 grandfather i think that would have been killed there really helps it hit home with that that's like wow there's still like there this is still being remembered because of this you know and what i like about about what we're doing here mary is what is, is, the, is the personal stories because anybody yeah. can read that can read the books and talk about this stuff but it's really the personal stuff that really comes in handy and, and people kind of look past this battle because they kind of go right from seven days kind of right to antietam antietam and yeah forget, forget what, but missing all this important stuff in between which to me it's like looking at the gettysburg campaign when you look at the gettysburg campaign really closely and you see all those little battles like you know there's 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 Winchester, there's Aldi, all those things that they are kind of these stepping stones that are leading these two armies to converge at this little crossroads town that had it not happened, that little town might not be known today. Whereas I see this battle as being, it's one of those steps towards Antietam, which Antietam ends up being huge for the Union and for Lincoln because of the emancipation that eventually comes out of it. But so these are why these ones need to be talked about, like including South Mountain, which gets forgotten too. Well, speaking of Winchester, you know who was at the second Manassas was, was Milroy. Oh. Milroy of oh, Titan. Tightening his, running, tightening his running sneakers of Winchester a couple of years later, a year later, fam. But yeah. he was in this battle too, you know? Someone once said about him in one podcast I was listening to him that he had the best hair of the Civil War, and I would beg to differ. My favorite general had the best uh. hair. 
Civil War. I wonder who that could possibly be. Oh, oh. <laughs> so obviously, you know, we were joking about this this afternoon about there was obviously a very big missing piece to this battle that could have swung the tide in the Union favor. <laughs> but unfortunately, he was injured in the previous campaign. He lost yeah. his arm. So uh, I don't know if you know this, but you know who that guy was, Mayor? Oliver Otis Howard. Oh, that's right. It was O.O. Howard. Yeah, he gets injured on um, June 1st fighting at Seven Pines. And he's out for, actually not, he makes a really quick recovery because he is back for Second Manassas. But he is going to be just doing some kind of reconnaissance rear guard work. So nothing, not really heavy fighting Oliver Otis Howard is there. And we talked before, forget what if Jackson was at Gettysburg. What if O.O. was at Second Manassas? Oh, lightning out of his hands. It's done. He would have stood up there and he just would have waved <laughs> his hair. He would, he would have Justin Trudeau his yeah, hair. Yeah, and, the yeah. and the Confederates would have turned and they would have ran <laughs> yeah, for fear like, of some, the great... Like, got up in some hill and just been like waved his hair. <laughs> it would have been like Moses standing up there. They would have yeah, ran. He, he actually looks a little bit like uh, Charlton Heston he would, in Ten Commandments. He would have, he would have part of the red lines. The yeah, Confederates exactly. would have split. Yeah, the Confederates would <laughs> You know, you're right though. You, you think about how quick his return was. Because, I mean, yep. he loses his arm in June, June 1st. 1st. And, and this is a couple of months before. So his summer was shit-canned. Yeah. He ruined his summer. But he shows up guarding the supplies and the back lines mm. to, to um, just a couple of a month, two months later, two and a half, almost three months later. Yep. And he's going to be at South Mountain. He's going to be at Antietam, which we're going to talk about that. So he's going to be there for that. So pretty badass Who's to be back in the saddle for that. So we talked before about some of the, the political infighting and the mistakes mm-hmm. that were going on about this. You know, one thing we kind of glossed through was the Buford story. Yeah. And I know you wanted to tell the Buford story. Yeah. So, so Buford was, um, at that time, he was out, he's at Gainesville and he's just out kind of doing some reconnaissance work. I believe it's for Pope at this time. And he has, like, he sees these troops coming along the line and he realizes that this is indeed the Confederate army and they're coming to, they're, they're coming a certain way. And it turns out like it was indeed the troops that are heading towards Manassas. And Buford gathers this intelligence. He goes back and he gives it, he has this dispatch to carry the information to Ricketts and McDowell. And it's not known how they reacted to it, but what the intelligence was with the Confederates that were coming that way, had that got to Pope, the outcome of the battle may have been different. I think there's no doubt it would have been different. And it makes you wonder, because we've always looked at Buford as kind of a, you know, the Sam Elliott thing kind of gets in your head, a very straightforward pro spider but it makes you wonder what was going on in his head because you know this he's no you know he's no you know he's a veteran of this battle of the of the of this war and and, and previous stuff for him to have that information and wait 11 hours yeah and it was i think it was long street that was approaching and it was rapid like buford was like they're they're moving quick (laughs) he he gets this intel at eight o'clock in the morning okay that these guys the long street guys are coming he waits till 7 p.m look i love buford but it makes you wonder what in the hell yeah. For him to hold on to that intel that long. And maybe, you know, and then it turns out, you know, maybe there was, there was that story where perhaps 
they thought that Longshoe was coming to mask Jackson's retreat, which mm-hmm. is a flashback of Chancellorsville, kind of, uh, in reverse, yep. kind of. Maybe they thought he was going to retreat again. But they didn't lose their, they didn't learn their lessons with this. They really didn't. No. You know, and then there's that whole joint order thing, the yeah. we talked before, where, where, Pope, you know, where Pope issues this completely incomprehensible. You want to talk about, you know, me to the cash town Gettysburg area, that story from Gettysburg with, with poor Yule, doesn't know where the hell he's supposed to go. Yep. And he says, how, you know, can somebody give an intelligible order? He gives an order basically to, to approach and get there with McDowell and waste and halt. And in his mind, Pope's mind, he thought the order said, go there and attack. But it's not exactly what he said. So you, you look about the intel from Buford and you look at this order from that and you can see what a mess it was. And then you start to think, well, the different agendas people have. Mm-hmm. You know, because certainly Pope was pissed off at Mac McClellan because he held 25,000 troops back yeah. from his Army of the Potomac. And McClellan wants Pope to lose. I mean, I think that his letter to his wife kind of, I don't know if he wants to lose, but I think he was, it was, it was like watching, it was, he, I think he knew that if Pope had failed, that he would get his chance back. Yeah. And that's going to fall on Lincoln a little bit too, though. Oh, it, I mean, it kind of has is. to. It, it, it does. And I mean, like McClellan is at this point, because he has not had that victory, he is in it completely 100% for himself, no matter what it takes. If Pope fails, he's not like connecting the dots thinking, oh, if Pope loses, that means like men are like more men are going to die and this is not going to look good. But the whole thing, I mean, the whole battle is just, it just wasn't meant to be. You want to talk about bad karma. You know, the division, you know, Rufus King, the division head, has an epileptic attack the day of the first battle. Yeah. And he's out because he has an attack. So right off the bat, they're, they're losing one of their better division commanders right on the 28th. They probably should have fallen back to Centerville then, I think. But I think it all goes back to Pope's obsession with beating Jackson and yeah. showing that he could come back. From the, I think that whole quote about in the, in the West, we're used to seeing the enemy's back. I think that was a bravado. I think, you know, pride comes before the fall, as you know, somebody once said, who I yeah. don't know who said it, but someone said it. But I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. So what, what would you have done there in this situation? You're in charge. Congratulations, you're in charge of the entire Union Army at the Battle of Second Manassas. So oh, God. You got, you, got a, you got a promotion from your government job. So what, what, do you, uh, what do you do in this situation? What do I do in this situation? Well, I am not going to ignore that intelligence report from uh, my Calvary guy, even if it's coming in a little bit late. <laughs> I, I think... I, um, I think you, I think you would have fit right in, actually. <laughs> I think, but I, I think, I think the truth of the matter is, is they, he should have known Longstreet was coming. Exactly. Had, yeah. That, he, that, he, that's he, just he, it. He knew he had two wings, and he was focused on just the one wing. Obviously, they completely misread the artillery fire, mm-hmm. thinking it was Jeb Stewart's artillery, and he ultimately, ultimately ends up being the vanguard of Longstreet. But then Buford finds out about it, doesn't say anything. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they get, he gets the report to them eventually. It's just a little bit late, but yeah, I think, you know, you've got to think like, you can't just focus on Jackson. You've got to remember that there is another wing out there too. And I think that's where somebody like playing armchair general now had Meade been in charge. I think Meade would have been thinking there's another guy out there and we've got to be well aware of that. Well, here's one. What if McClellan's still in charge? Ooh. I'm going to make you think for a second here, Mary. Right. McClellan. Wow. I, I'm wondering if this would have turned out a lot differently. I think he would have fallen back to Centerville. And I think he would have set a defensive line there. Yeah. Because he wanted to, he would have protected Washington and he would have let yeah. the Manassas, I think he would have let the, he would let Manassas go. That's what I think he would have done. I think yeah. he wouldn't have forced the fight. I mean, he definitely, Manassas, let's be honest, McClellan was not one to go pick a fight. No. Right. 
but he would have definitely he probably been on the Jersey Shore that. somewhere, sitting on the beach somewhere. He probably would have done anyway. So. I, I think he definitely would have fallen back onto the to the defensive position. Like, yeah, but then you have to look at like you know, so another AOP commander, Burns, like um, not Burnside, Hooker would have attacked. Well, I think Hooker would have attacked. It's arguable Meade would have attacked. Yeah, right? Meade, Meade would have Meade, Meade would have been able to suspect Longstreet as well. Mm-hmm. Because Pope was completely ignoring that, completely blind to that part. He was, as you said, he's out to get Jackson. And this is very early in the war still. Although it was actually, it really wasn't. It was kind of a, a 30% through it. Yep. And you could play the games about with the Western guys, so obviously Sherman, Grant, how they would have handled that. But at that time, Sherman and Grant weren't Sherman and Grant yet either. No, no. They're so, still, they're, they're starting, it's not even Vicksburg yet. No. I'm 300 pages in my book and it has <laughs> Vicksburg. It's on Vicksburg yet. So <laughs> damn this Bloom book. You want to talk about a slow read. I think McClellan wrote it, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> But I, but I think it's I think it's interesting to play the game though because that's what we can do because again yeah. we have 158 years to look back on this stuff and play with it. Yeah. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's a horrific loss it again is. in the East. Once again, now you've got one of the Western All Stars coming East and still losing. Now you've got Robert E. Lee, who's going to be proved to be formidable, who just proved that he can now go into the North because he knows he can beat them, and there's really no army that's going to slow him down. Goes to South Mountain. They go to yep. Antietam and just, and you see how history could have changed with just a different guy in charge. Oh yeah. And if Buford had not withheld that intelligence, um, the other thing too, that, that Lee does here is he is dividing his army. Am I correct in that? Which one? Manassas? Is, Manassas. Is he dividing his army here? Well, he had, he had Longstreet, but they, they had to bring Longstreet back. Yeah. So he was coming, you know, he was coming all the way, all the way back down again. Yeah, um, they weren't. Th- I mean, I mean, again, it's all the road system back then. You can't have an army mm-hmm. of fifty thousand men on anywhere at that point. No, there's no four lane highways back then. So you've got to find a way to, you know, you got to find a way to get them to where they're supposed to be. But it's um a- anyway, it, it's a it's a lot of fun to look at this stuff because you can sit yeah. back and just kind of kick back. If you want to look, if you want to look at a garden variety textbook shit show mistake i bow to second manassas oh it is it is completely it is a complete full metal jacket biohazard dumpster fire for the union army without a doubt i I think the best day for them was with with gibbon and and double day like that was where they sort of had their shit together well they could have beat them they 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 had jackson's they had jackson's guys beats they had him beat. Yeah. But they just, they, but again, nightfall comes and it just, they could have had him. But unfortunately, Lee had sprung a trap on him. He knew he had Longstreet ready to go. Yep. And he just rolled right through him. And it would, it would tell the story again for the next year or so in, in the in the Eastern Theater, really until Gettysburg. And that's, but you can see the beginning of that Lee mystique with this mm-hmm. because he basically, now he's beating, you know, he's beating yet another general. And now he has the confidence to go back to Jefferson Davis and say, we can show, we can take it out of Virginia and they're going to follow us. Yep. So let's keep going now. Let's get into Maryland and go from there. And the seeds were sown for the Antietam campaign after Manassas. That, yep. That's where the story was was you forget these little battles in between, but mm-hmm. this is this was the this was the Winchester of '63. Exactly th- this one, and yep. this is the this was the this was the final. So like we said before, the final speed bump for Lee to be able to take the Army North. But the one thing that comes into play in this is that Special Order 191 that is found that McClellan sits on his ass on, and that is the reason that South Mountain ends up being fought. And that I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this in our episode about South Mountain. Yeah, spoiler alert: we are doing an episode about South Mountain. But that is why South Mountain is fought, is that Order 191. But McClellan yeah. sits on it for so long. And that's the story of McClellan. 
Exactly. Again. Yeah. So again, this He's, is happening again where people are sitting on stuff. It's not yeah. getting, there's too much politics. There's just whatever playing into it. And it is leading, it's pay, It's this, it's another stepping stone. It shouldn't have been a stepping stone, but it is to Antietam. Yeah. McClellan is still at Yorktown. I just checked. He's still there. He's still yeah. Oh, he totally is. <laughs> you know, so. But I think it's that that's why it's important that we look at these two battles. So second Manassas and then eventually, you know, in a couple of weeks, we are going to look at South Mountain because they are what paved the way for Antietam. They are basically, I think, why Antietam happens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Ken Burns documentary says the Civil War was fought in 10,000 places. And this is really one of them is yeah. these little mini battles. And this was not a mini battle per se. You, you know, you had... 21,000 total casualties, which is a pretty big battle for over three days as Mary opens another beer. You try to hide that too. Didn't I was just putting it on my lap to open it. I'm hiding it. You try to hide it. What is that for? I can't see it. Force my, oh, the, the koozie. My koozie, the one that you think is always from Ma- Force Mary War. has Mary has a Go Red Sox koozie, which is pretty cool. I didn't. I'll, I'm, I'll surprise. I'm surprised by that, to be honest. People in the video can see that I'm giving him the burb right now. It's <laughs> a pretty good dropping off point right now. I think. I think. Yeah. I think. You know. I think we're ready to go. We'll move on to some other stuff. Yep. So, spoiler alert: some future episodes we're going to talk about. We are going to talk about South Mountain leading into Antietam. But you know what? Opening day coming up here in a week or two, right? Yeah. I there think is. The, uh, Yes, as the so, Patriots be, as the Patriots begin banner number seven, the, the march <laughs> number seven. So the NFL is coming up. We could probably think of some fun ideas heading into the NFL weekend. What do you think? I think we can actually. I think we've got a fun episode planned around that. I think we might be going into the Western Theater for an episode, maybe next time as well. Seaward, Chickamauga. Yeah, actually, we got a couple. We've got uh, the guy I got on my shirt right now, Sherman. That was Tom Brady's shirt. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was, that was over the line. I know. No, <laughs> no we're going to be heading to the Western Theater for a couple episodes. So, yeah, thank you for listening to us discuss the uh, second battle of Bull Run. I am thankful I had Darren here because he is the master of the Eastern Theater in this podcast for sure. You so. give me too much credit, but no. you know, I appreciate it. But, no. but we'll look forward to uh, talking about the West and some other things. But yep. definitely. Always, uh, always a good time doing this. Hope, and again, anybody has any good ideas you'd like to see thrown in here? We're always willing to, always willing to listen. To Mary's point, appreciate everyone who's signed on to our Twitter and our Facebook and our Instagram. Yeah, we're the kings of social media now with this. <laughs> and uh, but again, that's it's it's a lot of fun doing this, and I think uh, we get some great ideas coming up. So this is um, we'll do battle stuff from time to time, like tonight. We'll have some um, some variety stuff too. We got yep. a lot of fun stuff coming down the pike, as they say. Yep. And another thing that we have planned is when we release these episodes on Saturday morning, which hopefully like once my editing skills get a little bit better, which um, I'm going to be editing this over the next few nights, we are planning on going on Facebook live probably around 10 30, 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning via our Facebook page. And we're just going to like, if there's no one on, he and I are just going to talk for like 15 minutes about civil war stuff. But at that point, we welcome any questions you guys have. Um, you know, the episode that we just released, but in general, or if you have any comments, if you just want to come on and hang out with us, we just thought that would be um, a great way to connect with you guys because we noticed that we are already starting to form a bit of a community on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram, which is great. We just, we kind of want to have a very welcoming community where people can come and just hang out and have fun. Oh, and we also have our floofy kitty brigade too. So... (laughs) God. <laughs> which is led by Darren's cat Butler. Yep, that's right. Butler is the king. So yep. we'll uh, we'll get him involved as he's sleeping somewhere right now. Yep. So uh, you have any parting thoughts, Darren? 
No, I just think it's, it's great talking about, about these things. It's fun to talk about the, yeah. the peripheral stuff, the obscure stuff, because now we can, we can introduce the what if Howard was at Second Manassas concepts, which hopefully exactly. will take off in the Civil War community <laughs> and be debated in college classes throughout the country for the next 50 years, as it should. And we have, we've debated the fact that he's got the best hair per oh, Mary. by far. Better than Milroy? Oh, he's got that, like, just nobody can see me without, like, running my hands through, like, my hair, which I'm jealous of Howard's hair because I'm realizing I'm not having Howard's thick hair right now. Talk to me about hair. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I think I think it'd be a lot of fun. So I think, uh, I think we can call it Night's a Nightmare. I think we I think can so. um, get ready for the next one. And again, thanks for everybody who's watching and listening. And we'll definitely appreciate any feedback you have, as always. And, and this was fun. It's always fun talking about about second Manassas. And uh, as they say, we are, we are on to South Mountain. Yep. That's where we're headed right now. So anyway, <laughs> we look forward to seeing all of you again next week. This episode, obviously it's going to drop on Saturday. I don't know why I'm saying that because when you're listening to it, it's already dropped. So anyway, until next time, take care, be safe. And on behalf of Dara and myself, thank you for your support and for listening and we'll see y'all again soon. Bye. Peace out.